back, everybody. This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast, and I'm Austin. I'm your host. Uh, I got another episode for you guys this week coming at you here hanging out in, I guess you call it the studio. I call it the studio, and it's really just it's part of my basement, but it's my studio. It's where I record. Just hanging out uh, <clears throat> Tuesday night and have some thoughts to share with you guys, something that I've been trying to articulate in written word for a while. You know, thought about maybe trying to write an article or a short book or something like that about the dichotomy is the word that I want to use. All right. The dichotomy of the Second Amendment community and really my uh, my experience, my my point of view, what has led me to. A lot of different beliefs, a lot of different things, you know. Um, so I'm going to get into that. I'm going to talk a lot about my experiences prior to this podcast and observations during the last couple of years, <clears throat> developments and things like that, and just share with you all how I how I see things. I guess that's, that's probably the best way to put it, how I see things and how I've seen the changes and developments that have shaped what we call our... Uh, our two-way space, right? Uh, safe space, two-way space, uh, gun community, gun unity, gun tube community, whatever it is. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a lot about that. Uh, it's like I had a conversation with, uh, my friend, uh, <clears throat> Devin over at, he's at, uh, tactical cowboy training solutions. And we were, we were messaging back and forth about some things. And, uh, that's my first, I found the words to articulate this 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 idea, this concept that I had put together, the dichotomy within the gun community. So I'm gonna get into that. Uh, before I start ranting and, and rambling, you know, too far, I do wanna stop and make sure I say thank you to Eclipse Holsters as our presenting sponsor for this episode. Guys, head over to eclipseholsters.com. They gave us a discount code prepared mindset. It's all one word. Saves you 20% off your order. Guys, we don't get a kickback from this. We just like supporting a great company that makes a great product. I got my ambassador box some today. They hooked me up with a new holster, some candy corn for the, you know, Halloween holiday coming up, some coffee, you know, some really good stuff. But they're a a fantastic company that makes fantastic products and has an amazing warranty, an amazing guarantee behind it. You guys love your holsters. I've had several from them for, you know, my wife's Springfield XD, and we both have uh, Glock 43Xs. Uh, you know, uh, Sam and Trevor, they've got holsters from from Eclipse, and they're outstanding pieces. Again, prepared mindset, all one word. It's going to save you 20% off your order. You guys need a holster, mag carrier, whether it's inside the waistband, outside the waistband. You know, I was at class a couple weeks ago. Uh, I had a AR mag pouch. I gave somebody in the class who didn't have anything show up to class was going to run reloads out of his uh the, the butt pockets of his jeans says hey man <clears throat> here you go clipsholsters.com check them out here's our card for the the podcast now you got something to reload out of now you can participate in class without you know struggling through it and everything awesome products and they guarantee the products okay everything is made and on its way to you in three business days or less again eclipseholsters.com last time here our discount code prepared mindset 
It's all one word, 20% off your order. We don't get a kickback from that, but it does help you guys save a bunch of money and you support a good family-owned business that's out there trying to do the right things by gun owners. Go check out what Jess and her team are doing over at EclipseHolsters.com or HolsterBuilder.com. If you guys are listening to this, you're trying to get into building your old your own holsters, the discount code doesn't work, but head over to Host, Holster Builder. That's their sister company. <clears throat> they do a bunch of great stuff in the community as well. They've got parts and pieces and clips and, and all kinds of good stuff. If you're looking to start your own holster company or you run your own holster company listening to this, maybe you're looking for a different supplier, head over and check those guys out. Same family, same great folks, same great work and products. You guys are really going to dig it. But EclipseHolsters.com, again, prepared mindset, 20% off. Also, our Patreon page. Guys, Patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. We got exclusive episodes on there, exclusive content, videos, articles. Uh, we have right now, all of our targets are public. So our cold start drill, uh, <clears throat> that we've created, I don't know, a couple months back, uh, got some dry fire targets and things like that. We got a bunch of stuff up on there right now. We're going to have more coming that way as we kind of shape and mold what that looks like moving forward. You can sign up to support us, be a patron. It's going to get you access to that exclusive content. It's going to get you access to a bunch of stuff. Head over and check it out. Please, please, please consider donating and supporting the efforts we're making here for the podcast. Uh, you know, we don't make much off of it, but you know, every little bit does help. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. Or you can go to our link tree and it is listed in our link tree. You can find it there. Go check it out today. Okay. <clears throat> and you guys have to pardon me. I'm going to be clearing my throat and shit a bunch. It is, it is the fall here in Michigan. And as such, we have, God, the, temp, the, the, the weather here has mood swings like a pregnant woman. Uh, and I don't mean that to be rude or crude or degrading in any fashion to pregnant women, but any of you guys that have gone through it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> it just, it's, it is awful. It is awful to cope with, and there's only so much you can do. And I'm doing what I can do. So we're talking about the dichotomy of our 2A community. So let me first start by by giving you a definition of the term dichotomy. It's a division or contrast between two things that are represented as being opposed or entirely different. Okay, opposed or entirely different. Think about that for a second and let that sink in. Opposed or entirely different. Now, some water. <clears throat> we have had in the past in this community and, and not... We're not talking the distant past, all right? <clears throat> we're not talking like, we're not talking the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. We're talking hmm, last 10, maybe 20 years. Let's say 2000 and on. <clears throat> let's even say uh, sooner than that. Let's say the ex expiration of the Clinton era gun ban. So that's like 2004, I want to say 2004. Um, so let's... Uh, yeah, we're coming up on 20, about 18 years, right? So expiration of the Clinton era gun ban, last 18 years, we have seen the two sides of this community. You've had people that were very rooted in what I will say is the military side of things. Let's say military and law enforcement. Let's call that side A. And then the civilian 
and competition side, and we'll call that side B, for lack of a better term. One's not better than the other. One's not more important. We're just going to call it side A and side B, whatever. We have seen over the past couple of years how these two sides have merged together and and really <clears throat> grown to kind of, well, grown out of, rather, the differences that that used to set us apart. You know, when we started a lot of these discussions back right at the, the expiration of the Clinton era ban, you know, a lot of things that existed then and exist today, like it's not the same world, right? Like YouTube really didn't get big till around 2014, 2015, maybe a little bit sooner, maybe like 2012, something like that, right? YouTube is not, relatively speaking, that old, okay? YouTube is what helped even before Instagram, before Facebook, YouTube is what helped really spur a lot of this communication and start putting out a lot of this content that started sharing and spreading a lot of the ideas that we are all talking about today, right? So there was the side A, the military side, where everything was done with the military proficiency, um, acumen, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, lack of a better term, right? Everything on that side of, uh, of our world <clears throat> this is the way we did it in the military. This is the way that it has to be. There are no excuses. There are no, like, it just, it is that it is what it is. You have to have a full infantry fighting loadout. You have to have a full, you know, uh, condor plate carrier with, uh, you know, the huge flaps on the side and, you, you know, side plates and front and back plates and, you know, ballistic helmet. And yeah, you're loaded down with eight mags or 12 mags and you got GP pouches on both sides. And, you know, you got to run BDUs for, you know, under your, your kit and everything. And, you know, uh, you know, it was very, that side of things was very obsessed with, this is the way the military did it. Okay. And then you have the civilian and competition side, which was driven by things like competition shooters, civilian shooters that were kind of trying to break, I guess, from some of those ideals and explore some things, uh, their own way of doing things, right? You saw people like Lucas from TRX Arms. You saw uh, the range time videos and things like that. I can remember those from from very, very far back uh, around probably 2015, 2016 time. You know, I know, and that and that's cringy for some of you guys. If you remember Corey and Erica and the range time videos, knowing the the stolen valor story in there, that's it, it's it's pretty cringy. <clears throat> um, but you had the civilian and competition side of things that were kind of pulling you away from, you know, what we saw with a lot of the dedicated military ideas. And this isn't a dig on anybody that served. It's it, it's really not. What I'm, my intent here is to talk about how we've kind of departed from being so ingrained on either side and met in the middle ground today in 2020, you know, let's say in the last 10 years, right. As YouTube has gotten a lot bigger and it's social media has started as kickstarted has spurred, whatever, whatever term you want to use really. Right. Uh, has pushed the growth of the community together from both sides. So we used to have, a, you know, things like you have to, conduct a reload by bringing the stock, if we're talking a rifle, right? Bring the stock under your arm, visually inspect the magwell and the chamber. And then you you know, flip the magazine, you drop the magazine, whatever, and, and insert the fresh one and release the bolts and then reshoulder and fire, right? There was no other way to do that. And while you're, you know, you're 
you're reloading, you have to flip the weapon back on to safe because as soon as you reload the gun and you hit that ping pong paddle, you have a, you have a hot weapon and you have to have it on safe. Otherwise that's not safe. You know, things like that where you had to be very, very, uh, distinct in, in that manual of arms because that's the way the military did it. And that's not to say that that couldn't be true today because this is, that was the exact issue that I kind of had a conversation with Devin on. But for years on the other side of things, we were talking about performance-based shooting. We're talking about how speed is king and consistency and and not accuracy, but consistency of that speed and high performance. So, you you know, you're going to do a speed reload. You're going to leave the rifle in your shoulder pocket, not under your arm, in your shoulder pocket. You're going to conduct that reload and you're going to have a bad lever from Magpul. So you're not even going to have to hit that ping pong paddle. You're going to drop that bolt. You're going to fly home and you're going to be back on that gun even faster. And you're not going to have even gotten out of the optic. You know, and both sides had their own story for why what they were doing was right. You know, you shouldn't need to get out of the optic during the reload because you need to see everything that's going on. You shouldn't be hunting through the optic. You need to flip the weapon on safe because you don't know what's good. You know, everything downrange is always changing. And on the flip side, well, you're in your optic, which means that you have you have not lost your sight picture and you're getting back up on the gun faster, which means you can get effective rounds downrange faster, which is better. In both instances, good things are happening, right? I mean, from what I just said there, you know, you're either you got your sight picture the whole time and loss of sight picture is a bad thing. So you want to have that. You want to have that as much as you can. Faster reloads are better. No one's disputing either of those things. Being safer is better, right? Observing, you know, getting out of the, the optic and observing your whole battle space. That's those are those are both good things as well. Now. What this points to is that there is never a perfect solution. Okay. However, for a long time, we had people squabbling and having petty, you know, pissing matches on the interwebs about which was better. That that's just one that's one example, right? Which one's better? Here's another good example. Having fully built out kit, <clears throat> having, you know, like I said uh, a moment ago, GP pouches all over the place and, and eight mags or six mags, you know, double, uh, you know, two layers of mags on the front of your, your rig, because that's what your Condor carrier that you bought, not knowing any better, can hold. And you're buying steel armor because steel armor is what you were issued in the military. And then on the other side of things, you got carriers like the Ferro Concept Slickster or the LV-119 from Spiritus or... Uh, you know, I mean, today technically you got the AC one from T-Rex, but that really wasn't around during that, that conversation, you, had, you know, so slick carriers versus the fully load bearing kitted out, you know, like battle tank, uh, loadouts. And again, you had both sides, one going, Hey, you're going to need all these magazines. I can tell you what, you're going to need these magazines. You're going to need all this shit because what if this happens? And then you got guys on the other side going, well, you're lighter and you're faster without that in the civilian space. You don't need that, you know, lighter means faster. Faster means secure speed means security. Speed can meet security, which is the same argument people have with chest rigs, right? Don't buy a plate carrier. If you can't afford a good one, go for a chest rig. Now that's a perfect example of where we met in the middle on a lot of these things. Cause now you're starting to see a lot of people push the chest rig. And even more recently, now you're having guys come together and say, Hey, it is important to understand what a recon. Well, I think they, they misuse the terms. They say a recon loadout and that's really, they're missing the point of a recon loadout. But they're building these recon loadouts with, you know, 10 mags and these big chest rigs 
that you would see being used in the military and the guys on the civilian side are advocating for them now because you understand that the scope of the problem you're trying to solve should dictate your gear. Not <clears throat> whether you're military or former military or civilian and you just have to, it's like people that, that it's like people that vote straight ticket, right? Like either I'm a Republican, so I have to view everything this way, or I'm a Democrat, so I have to view everything this way. It, and it's just not the case. It just isn't the case. You, you can, there's all kinds of, you know, it's like in that movie Talladega Nights, you know, if you're not first, you're last. Like, oh, hell, you know, I was, I was high when I said that. There's second, there's third, there's fourth, hell, there's even fifth. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to to look at a lot of this stuff. And people, I think, now are starting to see more than ever. And again, this could be this could be a byproduct of having access to more information at a, at, a, at even an ever growing speed. Right? Access to info is only getting faster. Like we consume data at a rate I, that I think a lot of people thought we would never see as as human beings. Right? So maybe that's one of the, I mean, not even maybe, it definitely is one of the drivers to this, but maybe that's why we're starting to see people learn so much faster and start to meet on these middle grounds. Think Talking about things like, oh, you have to have a comped gun. You know, hey, I got a, you know, the Roland Special, right? The Glock 19, or I mean, technically, I guess you could do it with a Glock 17, but Glock 19 with a, an RMR and a big old muzzle brake uh, and, uh, and a light on it. And that was the Roland Special, and that's what everybody had to have. And then you got people on the law enforcement and military side going, well, if you can't shoot with a stock handgun, you're not shit. Or you can only shoot with all that extra crap added onto it. <clears throat> and now we've kind of, again, we've, we've, we have met in the middle on a lot of that. A lot you don't see, like you used to look on the internet, right? I mean, look on Instagram because people are always sharing stuff. Um, if you've been in the game for a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. Like you used to have to run the Roland Special, Grand Thumb, rock the Roland Special, Lucas from T Rex, rock the Roland Special. A lot of these guys they rocked the Roland Special because that was the cool guy thing to do from like 2016 to 2018. Like you had to, you need lighter spring, you had slide cuts, like all the, you got custom stippling, you know, you got all the cool guy shit <clears throat> and you shot flat as hell and that's how you shot fast. Well, then again, over the, over time, we see these two parts of the world kind of come together and you go, okay, well, can I perform this well without these things? And you start to find that some of these fundamentals, shooting fundamentals, fundamental skills with the proper application, the proper amount of practice, you can be just as efficient with these fundamentals and these skills, you know, applied correctly, as you would be with the the tricked out fancy ass pistol. <clears throat> in a lot of instances, those things were making up for deficiencies in shooting skill. I mean, yeah, we always want to run a gun that's going to be flatter. We always want to run a gun that's going to have a lighter trigger. Like those things can they can contribute to you being a faster shooter but is that really is that really the biggest consideration is speed how fast you can dump lead downrange <clears throat> and for a while there it was you know that was what everybody wanted to see cuz that's what's fun to watch on the videos is how much how many rounds can you put downrange to hit slide you know slide lock and then reload and then dump again that's what people wanted to see that was the cool guy stuff. Same, you know, same thing running drills with an AR platform rifle. And we've gotten away from some of that stuff. You know, you don't need the two pound uh, AR competition trigger. <clears throat> you you should be able to run a gun. This is one of the things that MilSpec Mojo put out there 
a while ago, right? It was several months, if not over a year ago, I saw this video and he runs mil spec triggers in his guns or at the time he did. And the reason he recommended that is he, well, if you can't out shoot a mil spec trigger, then are you really benefiting from, uh, from having that lighter trigger or has it become a crutch? You know, and for years that was a huge argument. You know, guys with service backgrounds, whether it was law enforcement or military, would look at guys on the civilian side in competition. Well, the only reason you can go that fast, the only reason you're that good is because you have a lighter trigger. And there, I mean, and hey, there, there may be some legitimate truth to that. There may be. And then you're seeing guys on the, <clears throat> on the military and law enforcement side that are better marksmen, but weren't as fast as shooters. And again, where does the, you know, where's the truth lie in all this? Where is the, uh, the promised land, so to speak, right? Well, and it's somewhere in the middle. You have to be accountable for every shot you put down range. Well, that means that marksmanship is best, right? It has to. Not, not necessarily, right? Because marksmanship only helps you if you can also put more ammo down range than the opposing force. You know, if you only put one round every 12 seconds down range, doesn't matter how accurate you are, the volume of fire from that opposing force is going to win the day. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. So again, we come together and we find that this dichotomy, the this 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 fervent and ingrained differences from side to side, quote side to side, right? Uh, does it really exist in today's world? Yes and no, you know, to some extent it does, right? To some extent, we still have a lot of these discussions and we still see a lot of people having the same arguments, uh, you know, looking and, and a lot of times it's at the expense of some of these individuals that gained a lot of their experience. And, and I'll say in some instances, it's, it's the real shit. It's the real gangster shit. You know, they were in Iraq, they were in Afghanistan, they were in, Syria, you know, <clears throat> wherever else. And they, they have these life experiences and these life battlefield successes to base their beliefs and their skills and their teachings around. Um, and we see these differences and people argue, okay, well, is it really, you know, do you really have to do that? Uh, you know, I mean, I saw something today around, oh, where do you want to position the, uh, the stock, uh, you know, in your shoulder and with a two, two, three and recoil and everything, um, I don't know. Do, I mean, is it going to really impact your effectiveness and your <clears throat> um, ability to win the fight? Um, there are very strong arguments on both sides. So I'm just going to say, I don't know, because I have never sat there and practiced one and then practiced another and tried to spot where my deficiencies lie. I mean, and I just, I just scrolled through a bunch of these. I was having dinner with the wife and I just scrolled through a bunch of these and, and like some really just fucking just inflammatory comments from people about why one is horseshit and the other one's garbage. And we can't ever come together to have discussions on some things like this. People are so like just fired up and bent out of shape. They lose the ability to have a conversation, you know, and anybody that has the opposing viewpoint is like, Oh, well you're just hiding behind tactics and thing in words like context, because you know that you're wrong. I'm, that was almost a direct quote from something I read. And it's not exactly true. You know, there's always, it's so opinion driven, 
you know, experiences may vary. Maybe you've been doing it one way and had success for 20 years in law enforcement. And if that's the case, then I mean, far be it from somebody like me to sit there and say that what you're saying is wrong. Does that mean that the next person, uh, you know, if you're in law enforcement, then perhaps this person's on the civilian side saying that it's wrong and he's had more luck doing it the other way, that you could both be right. I mean, both things could be true. That's like saying right-handed is best or left-handed is best. I mean, it's outcome-driven, right? It's binary. Either you're good at it or you're bad at it. Either it works or it doesn't. So that's why I'm saying, does this dichotomy still exist? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does for sure. Um, <clears throat> does that mean that it's the, it's the same gap? It's the same, it's the same division or contrast that we have that we had, you know, 10 years ago. No, no, it's, it's most assuredly not. Um, you, know, you look at some, some photos and things from the, the global war on terror and you look at, you know, for example, cause I've read a lot of these books, right? A lot of guys got out of the service seals, whatever they got out of the service and they write a book and inevitably they have like a six to 10 page section. It's on the real nice paper, right? With, with color printed photos and you see them in their kit, um, or hanging with their buddies and things like that during their time deployed. And you look at that gear and you go, Oh my God, look how old all that shit is. Keeping in mind that we entered the war on terror uh, in 2001, a military that had not been in a conflict in about a decade since Desert Storm, which lasted about four days, um, and Black Hawk Down, right? Um, <clears throat> and we weren't really ex obviously expecting to go to war, so developments have come at the later parts of time. And now you start to see where the two sides come together, where you see special mission units or special groups, uh, special forces, right? And they don't, they don't necessarily always run six or eight magazines. Maybe they only run three, you know, uh, it's mission dictated and mission driven. These experiences, uh, are, are, are shared on from both sides and you find the common ground in the middle. You find that civilian gear makers, companies owned by civilians are now starting to address a lot of the gaps. And some, sometimes it's because genuinely <clears throat> the lessons that we learned in the global war on terror, right? Uh, are now coming back to help shape and mold the ideas and ideals and mindset, not just for training or shooting or, you know, for gear, for everything, right? These civilian owned companies are now starting to address some of these gaps that they learned about through social media. They learned about through these arguments. They learned about through these discussions and Hey, we're learning to build a bigger, better mousetrap. Hey, you know what? You had that chest rig back in the day and that thing was absolutely massive and you fucking hated it. Here's a small one. Or, hey, you had, you know, all this shit you had to carry around with you and you couldn't customize it, you know, for different for different operations when you when you went out at night or during the day or whatever you were doing. Well, you know, here's a small rig and you got expander wings you can build off of now. Likewise, we went so far hard, so hard and so far that direction for a number of years there with like the Spiritus Placard and every, everybody wanted to make the Spiritus Placard. Everybody wanted to make their own version of the, the Mark IV, right? That was the hotness for a while. And I say that as somebody who owns it and owns a, another company's version of that. But now we're starting to see companies come out with larger rigs again, things that are more dedicated to those, you know, hey, I'm going to spend three days out in the wilderness and I need to have supplies on me and more than just three magazines because it may not be enough. Again, that is not to say that at any point in this whole process here, we've determined that one side saying seven mags is your standard infantry men's loadout. That's what you need to have. Or, hey, <laughs> uh, you know, a micro placard with three mags. 
plus one on the belt and one on the gun, that's five, and that's enough. It That's not saying that either one of those is right. But it is saying that it is okay to disagree, and it's saying that, hey, we came together on this issue, and we've had discussion about it, and hey, maybe, we, maybe I do need to carry more magazines, which is why you have plate carriers like the Slickster, like the AC1, right, uh, where the elastic cummerbunds have mag cells stitched into them so yeah hey and so you know i'll i got a radio in one of these i got a med kit in the other you know the the front two there i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna shove two new mags and two additional mags i'm sorry two additional mags so i'm carrying five in front plus one on the belt that's six seven is one in the gun or maybe i carry two on my belt you know hell <clears throat> now we start we're starting to see pictures of guys come out with the canted magazines on the belt whether it's pistol or, in some instances, rifle. You know, and for years, that was a competition thing because it's so much faster, you know, those lightning quick reloads. Well, and guys were, you know, in a gunfight, you know, the speed you reload doesn't matter. It matters how fast you get to cover, you know, and just being all, as long as you're you're effectively reloading and feeding that that weapon, that's what really matters. Well, not, not so much anymore. Now you're starting to see quite a bit of tactical kit, a lot of loadouts and things like that guys are sharing where they have horizontal rifle mag pouches. Or you have your pistol mags canted at 45 degrees because with we have discovered, right, with kit on, it is more ergonomically uh trying to think how tra- I'm trying to think how Travis Haley uh you know biomechanically efficient, I think is the term. Uh layman's terms, it's more comfortable and convenient, right? To get this magazine at a 45 underneath your your dangler or just underneath your uh, plate carrier and everything, it is more comfortable and faster and effective to do that. And that way you can carry three pistol mags instead of only two or, you know, three pistol mags and two, and, and two rifle mags instead of just one. You can cant these. So the angles, the torque that it puts on your wrist and things like that, your biomechanics, your pronation, your supination, right, of your wrist, that you can be faster, more comfortable and more efficient all at once. And those are things that were brought over from the competition world. Where, you know, tenths of seconds, hundredths of seconds on steel plate racks, that's how you won 10 grand, right? You needed that speed. You need every bit of that speed. And you were just going for it. And if you missed the reload, then, you know, fuck, you're, you lost, you know? So it's a slightly, it not even slightly, it was a different set of concerns for a different scope of mission, uh, different goals to achieve, right? But again... That we took that argument, we took that discussion, and things have very much met in the middle, right? We took the pros and the cons from both sides, and we and we met in the middle. Now, another another good one. So we're talking about magazines is the Velcro flaps and elastic retainers. <clears throat> I remember, I will ne- I'll never forget, right? You know, I bought, I built my first battle belt, and I went straight for. I mean, I did have, I think, a Condor pouches to begin with, just because they were like dirt cheap off of Amazon. But when I really started building out my belt, I went straight for the STAC uh, Kiwis or Kiwis, Kiwis, whatever. Uh, open top mag pouches. They have a Kydex insert that applies pressure, and I mean, it does a pretty good job of retaining the mags. You'll see. I mean, for a while there, it was like everybody and anybody, they ran those mag pouches. And a lot of dudes still do. A lot of guys still do. They're very, very good products. STAC makes a great product. But I remember, I built this this kit out. I built my belt out. <clears throat> and my buddy, uh, Sam, right? You know, Sam will help start this podcast. Uh, 
he was a TACP in the Air Force for six years, and his experiences were different, right? And everything he did, and I'm pretty sure to this day still, everything he does, he has Velcro flaps that cover all of his mags. And he goes, well, wait, you know, you go roll down a hill, you're going to yard sale all your shit. And that is a valid concern to a degree, right? Um, I live in a very urban area, extremely urban, where I, I'm not going to find a hill. Not, not that I'm going to trip and fall down. There ain't no way, unless I go find that hill to walk up in the first place. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of one, and it's in the middle of like a disc golf course in a wide open park. And from a tactical standpoint, you know, I would never go up there because you'd be wide fucking exposed. Um, but at any rate, right? And he just, it was so, he's so, so dead set in that belief, right? At that time, you know, and this could certainly have changed, right? You had to have positive retention on your mags, either the bungees or the Velcro flaps. And it's funny because we don't see that anymore. We've now discovered that the way that we build magazine pouches, whether it, we make them taller so they cover more of the mag, we have the the Kydex inserts and things like that, <clears throat> there's no there's no longer really a need for that kind of uh, retention. Positive retention, yes, with the Kydex inserts. Not the need for the retention over the top of the mag with either a bungee cord or a flap. You know, we had uh, Fred on Counting Coup Tactical. We had him on, uh, you know, several weeks back. He just came up straight out and said it. That was designed for airborne operations when you're falling through the air. You don't need that. Now, I mean, you could also look at that statement and say, well, you're just saying that because it fits your your narrative and that's you coming from the civilian side of things. And that, that I mean, to an extent, that, that would certainly be correct, right? Because that aligns with what I wanted to hear. However, somebody who, again, who has been out there and done it and seen it and experienced it, who comes from the military side where, you know, they were required to, to have and do some of those things for a while. That is <clears throat> the proof there that, hey, maybe... There is something to this. Open top mag pouches are acceptable depending on your mission set and your end goals. Again, we can look at it in my mind. There are two things here that really got us to this point. One was the expiration of the Clinton era weapons ban. None of this means jack shit if that didn't expire. If we didn't have access to AR-15s and AKs and you know everything else that we do today, we wouldn't be having these discussions. We wouldn't. Because we wouldn't have access to these firearms, to this gear, to this kit, all these things that were made illegal for 10 years in this country while, you know, side note, ultimately having very little impact in reducing gun violence, crime, or violent crime, whatever. But I digress, right? So we had the expiration of the Clinton era gun ban, which that was step one. Also was the global war on terror. We saw... uh, you know, a giant shift in focus. As soon as the the gun, the Clinton ban expired, things started going back into the civilian market. So you have two things going on. One, you have civilians driving, oops, you have civilians driving the firearms industry at a rate we hadn't seen in a decade because of the ban, right? You also had a war going on. In multiple countries that we were we were engaged in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? And you had uh, an exploding amount of servicemen and ever-growing uh, military budget, right? So companies were building products to meet the needs of these government service contracts 
and also the demand of the civilian market. And as this is happening, they're making more and more products, making more and more money, doing more and more research and development. And where are you looking for this research and development? Well, for a lot of things, you're looking at combat data. You're also looking at things like competitive shooters. People who are out there pushing the boundaries of things on the civilian side of this market. Hey, what is it like if you want to run a red dot on a pistol? Comp shooters have been doing it since we got, you know, red dot technology and they could find a feasible way to either slide mount an optic or mount it above the slide and you have less reciprocating mass, therefore keeping the gun flatter, right? And you can still see some dudes rocking those setups and stuff. So you have these companies looking at it and you see people taking the A.T2, which was designed to be a rifle optic. And all of a sudden you're seeing it show up on Glock slides, you know, or on mounts above the Glock slide or above the, you know, Beretta 92 slide that this competition shooter is looking, you know, running. And all of a sudden you start to have people in the tactical space going, huh, <clears throat> I wonder, I wonder if there's anything to that nonsense. And then we start to have people come back from their deployments and they go spend time checking out these, these competitions and learning from competition shooters or just even having conversations. And you discover, hey, there is something to this. Then you start to see special mission units. I mean, and, and this is across years, right? That start to carry fire, you know, pistols that have red dot red dots mounted on the slide. You start to see the, the disappearance of the fixed A-frame sight on rifles because the development of the technology that we're seeing in red dots and optics and things got to the point where we don't need that giant sight out there. We need a rail. We need more rail space to mount things like a light and infrared lasers. Our optics are better now. Our optics are more rugged and more durable now, driven by, yes, what we're experiencing in the battlefield, but we have the civilian purchasing power behind this to back it up. Those civilian dollars, guys that now actually can now own an AR-15 or an M4, Colt, whatever, Daniel Defense Rifle, they want to have what they see on TV, what they see in movies, what they see in their magazines and online. So you have that civilian purchasing power behind these products at prices that were driven by government contracts, i.e. the $800 Aimpoint T2. And if you don't think these companies are making money off this stuff, you're, you're absolutely insane. And that drives the research and development. And then we get better technology. So maybe it was the T1 and now you got the T Aimpoint T2. You've seen the EOTEX get smaller, right? They moved from your standard... Uh, um, what is it like acid core battery, like your standard double a size battery to lithium batteries. Cause that technology got faster and got better and smaller. So now you have the EXPS two, the EXPS three with night vision settings and things like that. One hand washes the other. <clears throat> and, and then it's almost like at some point in all of this, everyone looks around and goes, Hey, we used to hate each other, but, but we don't anymore. And it's weird. And then you look around and you realize that there's training companies everywhere. And who are these people? In a lot of instances, they're former military guys. Are they teaching only what they learned in the military? Usually not. Because the smart ones, right, the ones that realize they don't know everything, even though they've been in combat, they look to people, hey, I, you know, combat and and, mil and from everything that I've learned, right, and everything that I've been told, being in the military is like 9% shooting, and a whole bunch of everything else. So a lot of these guys look around going, you know, I know a lot about this stuff, but I don't know everything. 
and I know I'm not the world's best shooter, but I know this guy over here, you know, uh, Ben Stoger, JJ Rakaza, uh, you know, Rob Latham. Okay. These guys are some of the best shooters in the world. So maybe it behooves me to learn from them, go see what they're doing, go talk to them. What do they know about running this Glock, you know, weapon system that I may not and, and vice versa. We're starting to see, you know, collaboration is really what bred a lot of this stuff. And that's not to say that <clears throat> one side was right and con- wrong and conceded. Finally, it means that both sides were right and both sides were wrong. Both sides conceded and now start to work together. You know, we have within the last probably five years, you know, maybe even a little bit more, right? A huge wave of veterans that left the service and found life outside of the military, in training companies, in social media content, working for gear companies like Spirit of Systems or Faro Concepts or, you know, Shaw Concepts. There's, there's, there's dozens and dozens and, you know, hundreds of companies out there making slings and gear. And each one of them has their own unique spin on it because it helps to address issues that they found when they were deployed, right? Or in the military or in law enforcement for a lot of these people. And law enforcement, it's a whole another set of circumstances that almost we've found in a lot of in a lot of instances right bridge the gap between military and civilian service because continental united states your different set of circumstances uh different set of needs and things like that and you know i guess so then you almost even have three sides to this argument or three sides to this discussion and everybody's looking back and forth at each other and realizing that what each party has to offer can benefit the others or at the very least, you can look at it and say, hey, we were thinking about doing this. And you look over here at what law enforcement was doing. Or, hey, look what the civilian shooters do like in competitions and things. And it's, uh, they, you know, it really doesn't work. So we're not even going to explore that. We're not going to waste the time, the money, the resources, right? Uh, th- so for an example would be optic purchases. Hey, we're not going to go with that piece of crap optic company. And the person in purchasing goes, well, I mean, they're only 100 bucks." What you're talking about is eight times that or four four times that. And then you have to, you know, you look at, well, okay, but here's the data on this. These things break at this rate. These ones break, you know, less than half of that and have have a lifetime warranty. Things like that. You start to borrow from each other's experiences and use that to help shape what you're learning and training experiences and, and your decisions look like. So, yes, I mean, at some point there was a very, very strong division and dichotomy in this community, right? Um, back before the Internet was really where everyone was exchanging, you know, their information. Everyone was passing around the uh, Magpul Dynamics DVDs with uh, Chris Costa and Travis Haley teaching the mag flip and uh, running, you know, drills and stuff that a lot of us had only ever seen if we if we took classes someplace, and, you know, fast forward today, <clears throat> here we're at, you know, we're, we're sharing videos in a blink of an eye and sending messages and having full on discussions and Instagram live videos with each other and arguing over a whole new set of points. But it's the minutia of the detail is so it's it's just it's such a different conversation. I would say there's definitely a divide there still. I think that the scope has shifted, though. You know, I really would. I would say we are now in, in many, many ways closer to being a unified community than we've ever been in the past. We now understand that truly, 
you know, it's funny because I, I made the joke or referenced somebody making the joke about, oh, you hide behind a word like context. But context really does drive a lot of your decision making and a lot of your tactical factors. You know, I'm not going to go out. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not going to go out and plan to go on eight day missions and operations out in the woods and build my kit around that need. Because as a civilian that lives in the middle of the suburbia, truly, right, you know, in a situation where I'd be more, I'd be better equipped to build towards urban warfare requirements and urban sustainability, you know, you don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is we, we look at the picture from individual scopes rather than from one size fits all. And that's the way things used to be. You know, it has to be this way and we didn't care. Well, we've learned. We've learned a lot, you know, from military experiences, from civilian experiences, as the world is changing. Uh, and then even further from civilian inner, uh, I want to say interaction, but civilian action within the country. Things like the summer of love, which I've talked about on this podcast at nauseum. But I mean, how can we not? You know, how can we not, if that you, you have to look at that and know that that has helped shape this as much as anything else has, because now all of a sudden you are having those additional discussions and arguments that kind of took this dichotomy to a different place where you had people in the civilians, you know, sector uh, of things or of the community, right? Saying, well, I have a handgun and it lives in my nightstand and that's all you need. You don't need all that other crap because there's never going to be mass rioting. There's never going to be mass looting and burning and, and crazy. That's not that this is the United States. This is the United States. That doesn't happen here. You don't need all that. Right. Well, and then all of a sudden, almost overnight, you, you sure as fuck did want to have all of that. And everyone's opinion changed rather quickly. I think that's a a very nice way of highlighting and and a different way of looking at uh how we've kind of how we've kind of merged our mindsets through shared experiences and recent history and come together. You know, there's still going to be those arguments, there's still going to be those discussion points, right? Um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm awaiting the discussion I have with Devin on the whole, you know, Hey, you gotta, you gotta flip that rifle to safe during your reload and then flip it back off. And it's not going to add any time, which was a lie because I worked on it and it added like a full second to my reload time. Is it truly safer? I mean, if you're, if you're conducting a speed reload, then one would assume you're doing it because time is of the essence and you're trying to get that gun back up and loaded so you can put more rounds downrange to eliminate the threat. So you're not necessarily worried about safety in that particular instance at that particular moment. If you're conducting a tactical reload where you're topping off, like obviously much, much different and different rules apply. And I'm very, very sensitive to that. But guys, this isn't saying that the discussion's over. This isn't saying that we've made it. We, we may never, you know, I, I think, I think that this is, I think this is one of the things where the journey is, is so much more important than the destination because of how much we're going to learn from each other along the way and continue to learn from each other along the way. I think that the, the apparent willingness to learn from each other and have discussions that so many of us have regardless of life experiences. And this is something that, you know, maybe it's, it's a sign of uh, a sign of the times, 
You know, you can't bully the way you used to anymore. You can't be an asshole the way you, I mean, you can, you're going to suffer a lot more consequences now. Uh, The virtue signaling is rampant, you know, so maybe that is one of the positives that we take away from this. Maybe it's a sign of the times, but a lot of people with a lot of different kinds of life experience and, and service experience or, or without, right, are now looking to each other and having very detailed conversations on things and wanting to learn. And, hey, how did you, how did you get good at this? Or, okay, you have that opinion. What, how did you get there? And in, in a lot of ways, like if you can articulate your argument, people are willing to have a discussion about it. Like be willing to listen. Be willing to be heard you know, uh, or, or to hear someone out, I should say, look for what's different out there. That's how change happens. And that's how we find newer and, and different and better ways to, to do these things. You know, it's, it's never going to be a situation where you have the perfect answer at the end of the equation. This isn't, it's not math. It's not, it's not, you know, there aren't, there aren't such specific rules to how this all works that at the end of the day, you will get the right answer. And that is it black and white, no questions asked. It's just not how it works, but we can get a lot closer, you know, and I think it's a, a, at this point, we're at a lot of philosophical differences, you know? And that in itself, I think, is a point of evolution. Um, <clears throat> it's an indication of our maturity as a community. And I use that term maturity. Uh, and that might, that might be a poor use of words on my part. It really might be. But I will say that, you know, you kind of, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I think about ancient Greece, right? And philosophers. And as, as humanity got to a certain level of evolution and a certain level of competency, we had these great philosophers like Plato and, you know, Aristotle and, and Galileo, right? We get to this point where we certainly still have disagreements. There's certainly still so much that we don't know or possibly understand or haven't figured out the best ways to, to do things, right? But there's definitely a lot of things we have figured out for ourselves and some people that have definitely, you know, been those pioneers that have helped push some of these things through. Not to say they're the only ones responsible. I think that'd be disingenuous at this point as well. I think we see a lot of information being pushed out just by who has the largest platform, the largest podium to speak from, so to speak, right? So these social media influencers with the largest followings, whether it's, you know, I mean, you could rattle off whoever, you know, uh, it was Travis Haley and Chris Costa and, uh, may God rest his soul, James Yeager for a while, um, now it's different, right? You got a lot more guys with small, not somewhat, somewhat, I'll say somewhat smaller followings, um, but more people with a different uh, perspective on on how to accomplish these goals and the what and the why and, and everything in between, right? And it's a lot more of the community as a whole operating in the gray rather than the community. Either you're either all on the right side where you're, you're, uh, you're obsessed with tactics and everything military, or you're, you know, on the other side talking about competition shooting and being super lightweight and super comfortable and race guns. And, you know, I want to go fast, you know, all that good stuff. So to summarize, kind of come back to the original point, does the dichotomy, does this dichotomy, right? This division or contrast between two things that are or are represented as being opposed, are entirely different. Is it still there? 
Yes, but to a far lesser degree. And I, I mean, I would challenge everyone listening to this. Go, you know, depending on how new you are to this, uh, you may not be able to achieve this this particular experience. But for a lot of us who've been who've been uh, dabbling um, in the in the space for you know five plus years, think so sit and think about it. Sit and think about all the things that you, that you used to see a ton of that we no longer see anymore or that we used to see a ton of, didn't see for a while, and then we come back full picture and realize it's what we want. Perfect example here, carry handles and, and tall optics. Forever and ever, that was the goal, was to get that optic as low as possible. That's where the flat top uh, you know, AR receivers that we now see is pretty much the, the, the standard, right? We got to that. We got those optics low. We got to a standard co-witness. Then, oh, you, well, that's a little bit too low. <clears throat> so then we got a lower one-third. Now we're at 193s and two and a quarter mounts. Okay. So, and when you do the math on that, you're right back to where you were with a carry handle and an optic. So at the time, we were mounting optics and carry handles because we didn't have flat top receivers. Look at like Black Hawk Down, right? The Battle of Somalia. That was literally all we had was M4s or, uh, I, I can't remember the model, uh, the, the, you know, AR variant type rifles. We'll just say AR variant type rifles with the first generation of aim point red dots mounted on the handle. We get to the mm, 2005 to 2010 range when the Mark 18 becomes all the hotness and we get, you know, those, those carry handles shaved down flat top receivers with EOTechs and stuff. And then you jump forward another 10, 12 years here. Now we're, we're, we got risers all over the place. We got taller optics and we're, we're more worried about, you know, again, biomechanical efficiency and natural head positions and things like that. As we've learned more, we understand more about understanding mechanical offset and why it matters and why it's okay. You know, it is okay to have the optic be that tall as long as you understand what that, what implications that brings with it. And how to build your training curriculum or your training repertoire to to meet that, right? And again, these are things that through time we learn this and through sharing information on both, you know, uh, through different parts of our community, we come to understand that mm, the truth's somewhere in the middle, you know? Like there's, it's almost like that uh, there's three sides to every story, his, hers, and the truth, or, you know, his, theirs, and the truth, whatever, you mean, whatever, it's in the middle. It's, it's in that gray area. So we need to, you know, we are a community in the gray, so to speak. And it's awesome. You know, this is a wonderful time to be getting into all this stuff because you have such great access to all this information. Uh, you know, the platforms are thankfully, it seems like starting to ease up on some of the restrictions and the banning and things like that on, on Instagram, which is really the place where, I mean, if you're, if you're serious about learning about a lot of these things, Instagram is where you want to be. Facebook does not allow for much of the sharing. They suppress a lot of posts. They suppress a lot of information. A lot of dudes moved off of YouTube because it's a much larger, longer format. It's harder to be successful there. And again, they suppress a lot of those things and they don't allow you to monetize. Instagram is, I won't say it's a perfect solution because they definitely still do some suppression. Shadow banning still happens, things like that. However, they do. There's a couple benefits to that. That you know, as time has gone on, we as a society have changed. I don't even mean a society within the 2A realm, but like society as a whole, we consume information at a 
at such a rapid pace that the amount of information we can consume at once has plummeted. So we have attention spans as a, as humanity, right? That can only be you know measured in nanoseconds. I, I think about the old guy in the beginning of uh, uh, the movie Basketball with the guys that created South Park, and oh God, what was the actor's name? The guy who was he was in McHale's Navy, the original McHale's Navy. Uh, he was an Airwolf. You know, he's the he's the the team owner. He helps create the sport of basketball, and he talks about how children in these days have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. And it's funny because you see some you know Super NES and Sega and CDs and stuff, and it's you know it's hilarious because it's the late '90s, and here we are 25 years later, and it's even more true because everything's on your phone. And we can we have information is so readily available. If we can't consume it immediately, we lose interest to move on to find it someplace where we can. And it's been somewhat detrimental. But at any rate, Instagram, it's it gives you those bite-sized pieces and you can come back to it and you can watch it over and over again. And it has the added benefit of contact information. So what YouTube didn't have, or what YouTube had where you kind of dropped a comment and hoped that the original poster would see it and and think it valuable enough to follow up with you. Now you can message these people directly through these comment strings. You can message them directly when you find their video. You can search out hashtags, right, to help find things like AR-15, things like reloading or recce rifle. Oh, I mean, as cringe as that might be, the technology has driven a lot of this. And through this exchange, this mass exchange of information, and I want I want to say proof, right? I think proof is probably the wrong word, but We'll say proof that these other concepts, a lot of people throw out the window, it's like, oh, you'll never be able to reload quickly that way, or you should never do that this way. Videos of people doing it that other way, whatever that might be, and being successful, and then being shared around in various circles for various different reasons, get people going, huh, hey, maybe maybe I was fucking wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have been so set in my way. I'm kind of, okay, let me see how this guy did this. Let me go back and take another look at this. And then it opens that door to discussion. And through that discussion, we grow. And it's awesome. Because then we get to yield all the positive benefits as a community. And as we bring in new shooters, they're no longer starting from their square one when they started. Is no longer the the same square one that you you and I had uh, a couple years ago. Or some of the older guys had back in the early 2000s when they were getting into the service or getting their first pistol if they never served, whatever have you. It's all relative, right? Einstein's great theory of relativity and the environment. And, you know, you talk a lot about environments and in, in science experiments and your environment plays such a huge impact on the results of that experiment. And that's why, you know, you try to duplicate your environment to uh, eliminate as much of that variance from the results of your experiment, right? Well, if you look at our environment now, our exposure to different to different sources of information, our exposure to how much information, how quickly we can consume it, and things like that—that that all plays a part in defining where you know, quote unquote, square one is today. Think about it. You know, I, I would, I really seriously would encourage a lot of you guys who've been around this for a while. Go, you know, think back to what what got you motivated and some of the things that you remember going back. Cause I remember I used to, I used to have like this obsession. It was like an unhealthy obsession with, uh, uh, it was like this Nestle syrup that made your milk taste like coffee. 
right? I would mix up that and I'd sit down in front of YouTube for hours watching these uh, these shooting videos, right? Again, it was like range time with Corey and Erica or the Iraq veteran 8888 videos. And I know he's still around doing a lot of good stuff um, or videos going through gear or some of the very first T-Rex arms videos back when Lucas only had like five videos on YouTube and like his company was just getting started. And I was, I'd watch him over and over and over again. And, you know, I watched him in the morning before I was getting ready for work and stuff. And my, my girlfriend, now my wife, like, you know, you've watched that so many times, like, what's the point? And you just, you just, you, you want it. Cause that, that was all that there was that was there. Now you don't have that, you know, we're all shaped by what we're surrounded with. Um, and some of those older videos aren't even relevant anymore. Cause we've had so many changes in technology and realizations and these mindsets and things that it's just, it's so different. So, uh, I, yeah. So to wrap up here to kind of pull this all together, the dichotomy is there. I think the rift is much smaller though. It's much smaller. I think we're, you know, 10, 15 years into this now, we are much closer to being a more unified community, which is great because then it makes it easier to bring in new members and to help those new members grow and be successful on their own. So, um, but interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this, Um, your experiences, what you remember is your first uh, most impressionable moments in your training and preparation. So uh, shoot me an email, prepared.mindset. You know, podcast uh, at gmail.com. Shoot us a direct message on Instagram. I'd really, I, in, in all seriousness, if you guys are listening to this, I would love to hear some of your stories and insights and, and thoughts and feelings on this. But that's all I have for you guys tonight. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my my ranting and rambling here, uh, sharing my thought. Again, this is something I, I've been trying to articulate this. I, I have. Uh, for a while now, I, I have on my uh, computer, a article, it's like three pages long. Uh, I think it was up to like five pages and I deleted out a bunch of stuff. Cause I realized I was starting to like repeat shit and I couldn't, I just, you know, I'm somebody that I can, I can speak on it and I can hopefully put this in a way that, that people can relate with and understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, for whatever reason, when I try to put stuff in a written word, I really struggle it's really a process for me. So, um, I've worked on this for the past couple of weeks and just really thinking on it. And I just, you know, the opportunity came for me to just talk about it tonight and hopefully, uh, what I'm trying to say here and, and what I'm trying to, uh, narrate here helps resonate within you and you understand what I'm getting at. And, and you see that how, you know, how far we've come from being, very divided on so many things to being very united on many things and divided on a handful. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, Like I said, reach out, let me know what your experiences have been and what memories you have. I I would love to share some of those on an episode, uh, especially as we're getting towards the end of the year here when uh, it's a little bit harder to book guests and maybe you want to just, you know, have some, some good discussion points and things like that. So drop us a message again, uh, you know, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod sign up, help support what we're doing. Uh, even just for a month or two, we appreciate the help and the patronage. That's all I got for you guys. Uh, next week, next couple weeks actually should be pretty good. Got some really exciting stuff lined up uh, that I'm happy to uh, be working on and, and getting out to you, uh, both in guests and otherwise got a pretty cool announcement coming in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. But until then, folks, get out there, work hard, train smarter, and be prepared.